0: Hello, I'm Danny Akin, President of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Grace and peace be multiplied to each of you this morning in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I thank the Lord for my friend and brother, Dr. Akin. I thank the Lord for the work that he is doing in and through this school and it is a joy that i thank god for to be with you this morning and to participate in this psalm series i would point your attention to psalm 93. let me pray father in jesus name we simply ask open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word give us understanding and we will obey your word and keep it with our whole heart in jesus name amen psalm 93 reads the lord reigns he is robed in majesty the lord is robed he has put on strength as his belt yes the world is established it shall never be moved your throne is established from of old you are from everlasting the floods have lifted up o lord The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Amen. I want to label the message with the opening declaration of verse 1. The Lord reigns. Canute the Great was king of Denmark, England, and Norway. He was much beloved by his citizens, but he feared they esteemed him too much. And so, it is said that he engaged in an object lesson to teach them a point he ordered them to place his throne at the edge of the sea on the shore and from there enthroned he declared and announced that the waters should abate and while he is ordering the waters to recede he's getting splashed by the waters The point becomes obvious, but he announces to his people there that only God, who created the heavens and the earth, is worthy of praise. Psalm 93 bids each of us to place our little thrones at the seashore and to recognize that God alone rules the world. Psalm 93 is the beginning of a series of enthronement psalms. We don't know anything about the historical background of this particular psalm, but the message of this psalm is unmistakable. It begins with this stirring truth, the Lord reigns. Psalm 93 is categorized as a song of praise, a hymn of praise, but it really doesn't fit the formula. Praise psalms typically consist of a personal testimony of divine deliverance, but neither of those elements are found here. This psalm is not about the psalmist's experience. It is all about the Lord who is mentioned five times directly in this psalm. This hymn is about Him, God, not us. And yet the truth that it teaches us about God here serves for us as comfort, peace, and strength. I first heard Psalm 93 preached in a seminary chapel. Not long after sitting in the class, that preacher shared with us students that he had recently resigned from his pastorate after years of turmoil, where it became obvious that he and the congregation did not share the same philosophy of ministry. When asked further about that experience, he explained that he was preaching through the book of Psalms, and on one Sunday, he found himself at Psalm 93. He preached this psalm, announced his resignation, and walked out the church down the middle aisle. He walked out of that room into an uncertain future with the confidence of the truth that he had just preached. The Lord reigns. Friends, What season of uncertainty are you walking through presently in your own life or family or ministry? May this psalm be for you today, comfort and strength and hope. The Lord reigns over heaven and earth. Three ways this truth is declared in the psalm, if you will. First, the psalmist declares the Lord reigns Gloriously, The Lord reigns gloriously. Verse 1 begins with a bold declaration of theological imperialism. The Lord reigns. This is a truth that every unbeliever needs to recognize before it's too late, and every believer needs to remember when life gets hard. The Lord reigns. Reigns here is a present tense term that expresses a perfect tense truth. The psalmist speaks here in real time. It doesn't matter when it is. It does not matter where you are. It doesn't matter what's going on. Then and there, the Lord has everything under control. His authority is not nominal or theoretical or ceremonial. The Lord's reign is majestic. Notice how verse 1 gives us this twofold statement of divine authority. It begins by picturing God's robe. The psalm says, The Lord reigns, and then he begins to give dramatic. Imagery of the Lord's authority. He says he is robed in majesty. You may remember Hans Christian Andersen's The Emperor New Clothes, where con artists deceived the vain king, telling him that they would make him a new garment, but only The initiated could see it. When the quote-unquote robe was complete, he paraded it around and not wanting to seem ignorant, the citizens oohed in awe as the king passed by. And only a little child was honest enough to say, the emperor has no clothes. Praise God, friends. Our God is not an emperor with no clothes. He is robed in majesty. James Montgomery Boyce wrote that majesty is an attribute that links God's holiness and God's sovereignty. His nature, his authority, his works are majestic. But you see that not only in his robe, you see it in his belt. He is robed in majesty in times of peace. He is belted in strength in times of war. The king would sit on his throne wearing his robe. In his majesty, he would stand up and gird his belt in strength. This is military language. The picture of God wearing a belt is to say that God is armed for battle. He is ready for combat. Strength here is the power to subdue. And notice how God wears this belt. It is a self-coronation. No one uh, puts this belt on God. He has put this belt on for himself, meaning in the poetry of the psalm, that no outside force makes God strong and no outside force can hinder God's strength. Psalm 62, verse 11, God has spoken. Twice have I heard this. The power belongs to God. The Lord is majestic. But not only is the Lord's reign majestic, the Lord's reign is sovereign. In fact, Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 93 the psalm of omnipotent sovereignty. Notice the end of verse 1. After declaring God's majestic and strong reign, he affirms it again by saying, yes, truly, genuinely, absolutely, the world is established and it shall never be moved. The evidence that God reigns, the psalmist says, is that the world is established, meaning the world is not a cosmic accident. It is not a natural phenomenon. It is not the result of evolution. Genesis 1 and 1 declares, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I have multiple books in my study on hard sayings, difficult passages in the Bible, but in a real sense there's only one hard text in the Bible. It's Genesis 1 and 1. If you believe that verse, you won't have any problem with what the rest of the Bible declares. The Bible emphasizes God as creator to make a theological point. Divine creation expresses divine authority. God is monarch over all because he is maker of all. Psalm 24 says it this way, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and everyone that lives in it, for he has founded it upon the seas and he has established it upon the waters. He owns it all because he made it all. And so the world is established and it shall never be moved. Medieval scholars read this to conclude that the earth was stable and sun and planets orbit around it. That's not what the text says or means. This is a statement of theology, not a statement of physics. It is meant to say here that the sinfulness of man, the elements of nature, and the fluctuations of history can never overthrow the government of God. That's true of natural law, and it is also true of moral law. Galatians 6, 7 through 9, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap everlasting life. The Lord is majestic, the Lord is sovereign, and likewise, His reign is eternal. Notice verse 2. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. After Gideon won a victory on behalf of God's people, they tried to make him king. And in Judges eight twenty-three, Gideon says, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord rules over you. Sinful people constantly seek new rulers, but verse 2 says, God's throne is established from of old. God is no upstart despot. Psalm 145, he has an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures throughout all generations. God is uncreated and unending. God is eternal and immutable. His throne is established from of old. When I was a boy, my father would lead funerals and it was his custom to lead the family down the aisle to their seats in the funeral. And as he led them, he would always read Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place to all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or Ever you have created the earth and the world, Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is timeless. God lives in one eternal now. God, aren't you glad God is not subject to term limits or re-election? His throne is established from of old, and you are from everlasting. This is why God doesn't have to be in a hurry. Time is always on His side. Worsby says, no matter what happens to human rulers on earth, the throne in heaven is safe and secure. God's reign, that is, is inescapable. You can't wait God out. He literally has all the time in the world. You don't. This is why, friend, you should run to the cross while you have the chance. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. Pardon is enough for me. I don't know what abundant pardon is, but I like it. (laughs) If you run to the cross, if you turn from your sins and run to the cross, friend, today you can have free forgiveness, new life, and eternal hope the Lord reigns gloriously. Secondly, the Lord reigns powerfully. The Lord reigns powerfully. The President of the United States is never introduced. He's presented. Someone just simply says, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. And when he comes into the room, everyone stands. In a greater, deeper, higher way, all of creation should respond with reverence to the truth that the Lord reigns. But the fact of the matter is we live in a sinful world that responds to this truth with rebellion, not with reverence. And so, what you have in the second stanza here is a contrast. Verses one and two show us the reality of God's reign. And then verses three and four show us the response to God's reign. Verse three there is the testing of God's authority. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. These floods are not literal floods. God is in control of nature and all its elements. It is not saying that that nature around us can overrule God. In fact, not only is this not a literal flood, it is not mythological. In ancient pagan religions, their idol gods would take authority after defeating the the supernatural forces personified in the flood waters. But that's not what this psalmist is referring to. He is in poetic language simply describe, describing here sinful rebellion against divine authority. The floods represent sinful rebellion against the government of God. And with alarm and anxiety and urgency, he says... The floods have lifted up. Notice the building parallelism. The floods have lifted up. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. You missed it. Let's just, let me try it again. What's wrong with the world around us? The psalmist gives the best answer. The floods have lifted up. That's the explanation, the best explanation in poetic terms for the poverty and racism and violence and injustice, division, immorality and corruption in the world around us. The poetic language describes this sinful world as filled with chaos and violence and evil. It is a statement at the same time about the power of sin and the weakness of man. The floods have lifted up, and no president can stop the floods from lifting up. No legislation can stop the floods. No protest can stop the floods from lifting up. So what do you do when the floods have lifted up? Look at verse 3 again. The floods have lifted up up. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. This is not breaking news. It's a prayer request. He is telling God on the floods. Oh, friends, This is how things change in the world around us, not by our human wisdom, strength, and resources. It happens as we appeal to the God who the psalmist will say later in Psalm 103, who has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. In fact, after the testing of God's authority, would you notice in verse 4, the triumph of divine Authority. The floods are lifted up, but then the psalmist says, Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Hear me, friends. The flood waters may overwhelm you, they never overwhelm God. What is a tsunami to you is not a ripple with God. He is, what a great term. Mightier, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. This is also a statement about the beauty and the authority and the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. To Remember in Mark 4, as they sailed across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus took a nap. And the disciples, in a panic, wake him up and say, Master, do you care that we are about to die? And Jesus stood and spoke to the winds and the waves and said, Peace, be still. And at his voice, everything went from chaos to calm. And the disciples, Mark four forty one says, Who then is this? In fact, this is where I need my King James upbringing. What manner of man is this? that even the winds and the waves obey His voice. Oh, friend, whatever you would face in your life, in your family, in your ministry, remember that as the floods are lifted up, the Lord on high is mightier than them all. The Lord reigns gloriously. The Lord reigns powerfully. Thirdly, the Lord reigns righteously. During the Watergate scandal, the embattled President Richard Nixon held a press conference to defend himself. He explained, the American people have a right to know if their president is a crook. I am not a crook, he said. Shortly after that, he resigned in disgrace. (laughs) And since that year, 1973, there's been a cultural shift where the nation assumes its leaders are crooks. The psalmist here ends by telling us that God is worthy of our trust. The God who reigns gloriously and powerfully reigns righteously. See it in God's faithful word. Verse 5 says, your decrees are very Trustworthy. How does God exercise his rule? The text says in verse 4, he is mighty. But now he says God does not exercise his rule by supernatural works. He demonstrates his rule by his faithful word. When God speaks, things happen. Isaiah 55 says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there. But water the earth causes it to spring forth, providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall, Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, so shall my word be that comes forth from my mouth. It shall never return to me. Void. It shall accomplish all that I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. We live, friends, in a world of falsehoods, half truths, and deception. And we rightly ask, Who can you trust? Verse 5 answers of God, Your decrees are very trustworthy. Decrees refer to God's Testimonies. The word, here's the word for amen. I like this. I pastor a Black Baptist church, and when I'm preaching on Sunday morning, I'm looking for amens. But here the psalmist says God's word is its own amen. When God speaks, it settles it. It doesn't matter if you agree or not. His decrees are very trustworthy. Do you see the superlative language here? Either something is trustworthy or it is not. You can't be, there's no, there's no degrees of trustworthiness. You can't qualify that. Either one is trustworthy or not. But the psalmist here says, when you are speaking of God, it is not enough to say of his word that his word is trustworthy. It's very trustworthy. It's like the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations 3. He was not He didn't find it sufficient to say that God is faithful. He, with a heart of praise, declared, great is your faithfulness. Oh, friend, leave here being reminded you can trust God's Word. You can trust God's Word. Isaiah 40 and 8 says it succinctly. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. We see God's righteousness not only in his faithful word, but in his holy character. The text begins with majesty, but it ends with holiness. Verse 1 declares God's royal highness. Verse 5 ends by declaring God's impeccable holiness. Your decrees are very trustworthy, the psalmist says, and holiness befits your house. House is the heavenly dwelling from which God dwells, works, and rules. And it, he says, is characterized by holiness. Holiness, he says, in fact, befits God's house. It's the suitable adornment for the dwelling place of God. Holiness is God's defining attribute. Isaiah 6, 3 declares, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And the psalmist says, as God is holy, holiness befits His house. This is a statement about the character of God. It is His poetic way of saying that God is righteous in all that He says and does. His ways are good. His house is holy. His rules are righteous." Maybe this is a practical tip for life and ministry here as well. We should never seek unholy means to accomplish holy ends. Holiness befits God's house. He's righteous. The ultimate proof of his righteousness. We, we, We have reason to rejoice in the righteousness of God for reasons this psalmist did not know when he wrote these words. We are the beneficiaries of the ultimate expression of the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, for our sake. He, God, made him Christ who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we may become the righteousness of God. At the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed all of our sins so that by faith in him, he may treat us as if we had performed all of the righteousness of Christ. And so we rightly sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. One more word here. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord. Forever. Forever applies to both previous statements. His decrees are trustworthy forever. His holiness befits his house forever. In the language of James, there is no shadow of turning with God. He is righteous. He is trustworthy. He is holy forever. And as things change in our lives, in our families, in our ministries, we hold fast to the truth of Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. I'll be honest. I find it easy to believe that he's the same yesterday. Everything the Bible says about him, I trust without reservation. I believe everything the Bible says about him forever, tomorrow, the future. The challenge is the and today. When you're carrying burdens today, whatever storm you are navigating today, whatever battle you are facing today, May you find strength, hope, and peace in this great truth. The Lord reigns. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we give you praise for your word. It's truth, it's wisdom, it's authority. We thank you for this reminder of your authority, of your character, of your glory. This call from the psalmist to look beyond our personal affairs, the circumstances around us and the troubles of this world, and to look and behold that your throne, O Lord, is established from of old, and you have everything under control. We just simply pray that you would help us to trust you with all of our hearts, not lean on our own understanding acknowledge you in all of our ways, that you would make straight our path in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.